Well, this morning we begin our brand new sermon series called Spirit Walk. It's a, it's a sermon series that's been six months in the making. And it doesn't matter where you are watching this right now this morning, whether you're watching it uh, on our online audience in your home or on a phone or whether you're in one of our live services right now, you're all watching the same video because I wanted to have an opportunity to share with you my heart and, and how God developed this sermon series because really it's born from what God's been doing in me and something I believe God wants to do in the entire church. And so I wanted to have this opportunity to share with the entire church my experience. I don't know if you've ever had those moments in your life that are just overwhelmingly catalytic, like just life transforming moments where you're, you're never the same after it, kind of redirects the trajectory of your life. And if I were being honest with you, these last six months have been those kind of life transforming months where my, my life is on a new trajectory. I'm a different man because of the last six months. And all of it has centered around one thing, learning how to walk in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and if I were being even more honest with you, I'd have to share with you, like I, I haven't really given the Holy Spirit the attention he deserves. If you look at my spirituality, it's not that I've had bad doctrine about the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I would have very orthodox, normal theology. I know the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. I don't fully understand the Trinity, but I know it's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit kind of thing. So, I mean, I have right doctrine about the Holy Spirit. But in my spiritual practice, if you look at the way I, I relate to God, I put a lot of attention on the Father, a lot of attention on the Son, and very little attention on the Holy Spirit. And, and I think one of the main reasons why is because I've just seen so much abuse of the Holy Spirit. I, I've, I've seen so many people misuse the Spirit. I mean, you probably have too. I have people who do a lot of crazy things and they blame the Holy Spirit for it. People like barking like dogs, running around like crazy people, speaking what feels like gibberish sometimes, all these like crazy things going on. And, and you just, you back up for a bit and go, whoa, I, I don't know if this is really the Holy Spirit. And there are people who say, well, the Holy Spirit told me this and you just know the Holy Spirit didn't tell them that. <laughs> I, remember, I remember this happened to me, it was a number of years ago. It was on a Sunday morning and a lady walked up to me and she said, Pastor, I just need to tell you, I, was, I received a prophecy from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told me that within a one year time frame, that the nation of Mexico is gonna invade the United States of America and is gonna conquer the United States of America and our world is gonna change. Mark my words, the Holy Spirit told me it's gonna happen within one year. And I remember responding going, well, I guess we'll know within a, a year whether you're a true prophet or a false prophet. And that was the end of that conversation. And that conversation happened 10 years ago. So apparently she was a false prophet. Apparently this was not, she was so certain the Holy Spirit told me this. And obviously the Holy Spirit had not told her that because the Holy Spirit doesn't lie. And so you experience things like that and you see these abuses and these oddities and you're going, man, you know, I just, I just kind of want to keep my distance from that. I don't want to end up like that, blaming the Holy Spirit for things that he didn't really say or expecting the Holy Spirit to do things that his word never promises he's going to do. So I'll, I'll just put the Holy Spirit in, the, in this little compartment of my spiritual life. He'll help me when I need to pray. He, he might help me when I want to rightly understand the scripture, but I'll just keep him in this safe little box. I'll give all the attention to the Father and to the Son. Everything's going to be fine. And that's really the way, though I would never say that out loud until now, that's really the way my spiritual life has gone until these last six months. When God has been trying to teach me that the means by which he engages the world is through his Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus himself told us that. He said, I gotta go away. I gotta leave so that the Holy Spirit can come and do the ministry he's supposed to do. The Father is up on his white throne. Jesus is at his right hand and the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and does the ministry of the omnipotent God here on earth. Jesus himself told us that's the way it's gonna be. 
And what the Father has been teaching me through his spirit is that if I want to experience the power of Almighty God, then it's going to come as I engage with his Holy Spirit. And one of the things that most delights me is to think about how ready the Father is to give us his spirit. I want to read for you a passage of scripture. It comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. It's a, it's a little part where he's talking about prayer and our need to persist in prayer. But in verses 9 through 13, he gets real specific. And I want you to listen to the Father's heart as it pertains to his Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9, it says this. Jesus is speaking here. He says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who, who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He, it's this image, like he's saying like the father is like he's on his tippy toes just going, just, just ask me. Just, I'm just so ready to give you my spirit. Just ask. And he's looking, waiting to lavish his Holy Spirit upon us if we would just ask. And yet so many of us never even ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And I think one of the reasons we don't ask is we're just, we're afraid. We're afraid of what we might discover. We're afraid that it's going to be a little too weird for us to handle. But what the Lord has been teaching me over these last six months is that our engagement with the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be nearly as weird as we think it needs to be. Usually for me, as I'm engaging with the Holy Spirit, it really comes down to the fact that I pray more than I have ever prayed in my life, lingering in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I have prayed for hours and hours a week and longed to be in the presence of God, not forced to because I receive so much in his presence. What it's looked like for me is that I journal more than I have ever journaled. Normally to finish a journal takes me about three years or so. I have finished one and I'm almost done with my second in six months because I'm journaling page after page every single morning as I listen to the Spirit, as I linger in His presence, as He brings the Scriptures to mind. And I'm just recording all my thoughts. And then I obey immediately. I stop trying to reason through why the Spirit would ask me to do this and why it's a bad idea to follow. And I just say, okay, God, I want to hear from you. I want to record the thoughts and I want to obey immediately. That's what it means for me to engage with the Spirit. It's not weird at all, but I have seen God move in ways I have never experienced in my life over these last six months where I've listened more, I've recorded more, and I've obeyed more. And I, I want you to know, I think this is the power of God He wants all of us to experience. So, so in, in all honesty, these last six months have been the hardest six months of my 24 years in ministry. I have experienced more ups and downs in these last six months, really difficult issue, uh, situations and issues with staff. I've, I've lost friends to sickness and COVID and cancer. I, I've had a lot of turmoil and crises I've had to deal with. It's just been a, there's been a lot of stress and difficulty. And yet over these six months, not in spite of, but through all these, I have also experienced more joy in ministry than I ever have before. I've experienced more peace in ministry. I've experienced more power, more answered prayer than I've ever experienced in my life. I've seen God's provision in ways I've never seen it before. I've seen God stir the hearts of people, people coming into faith in radical ways over these last six months. All of it, because I'm learning just how to listen to the Spirit and do what He says, to walk with the Spirit. I'm experiencing what the Scripture calls the abundant life. And I believe He wants that same thing for you. 
This is why he wants us to learn to engage with the Spirit because he wants us to know what the abundant life is, a life that has power, a life that has joy, a life where you influence others, a life that is transformed, a life that is, that is encapsulated with peace, a peace that surpasses understanding. He wants you to have the abundant life. And it comes by learning how to walk with his spirit. That's why this morning we're starting a sermon series, which is going to teach us bit by bit how we walk in the Holy Spirit of God, how we engage with the spirit of God and receive the power as the spirit transforms us. But what you're going to discover real quickly is that the way we do it isn't by trying really hard, it's by trusting more in what the spirit can do. Because the Spirit wants to make you the kind of person you've always dreamed of being so that you can have the kind of life you've always dreamed of having. In fact, I want us to go over to the book of Galatians. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Galatians chapter 5. And you're going to see him describe what a person who's living the abundant life looks like. It's a person who, who develops what's called the fruit of the Spirit. When, when the Spirit is in us, moving in us, transforming us, there's a natural result. And that, that result is something absolutely beautiful. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Listen to what the fruit of the Spirit is. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is saying that this is who the Spirit makes us. By the way, this is exactly who you want to be. I mean, who doesn't want to become a more loving person? Who doesn't want, as a parent, their children going, Listen, I don't know if my mom or dad was always perfect, but I knew they loved me. Who doesn't want to have a spouse look back and go, I feel so loved by a friend who says, man, you just love deeply. We want to be loving people. We, we want to have joy. Who, who doesn't want to walk around with a smile on their face in all circumstances filled with joy? I mean, that's what an abundant life is, a life that is filled with joy, with peace. That all the ups and downs, the global pandemic, all the stressors of life, and yet we still have peace and tranquility. It's what the Spirit produces in us. It makes us patient when we struggle with it, kind. It makes us good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. This is who you want to be. At the end of your life, when you're about to breathe your last and you look back over, you want to be defined by these things. This is the abundant life the Spirit can produce in you. And the, the reason I know it's what we long to be is, is because we so hate the opposite of all these things. And there is right now an enemy who is trying to work in you and in every other human being to make them the very opposite of these things. And you see it all the time. We have flesh inside of us that's warring against us, trying to make us, instead of loving, to make us hate-filled. I mean, how many of us can walk around and see people just filled with hate, spewing out their hatred on social media and on street corners? All you see is what they hate. And it drives us crazy to see it. People that instead of joy, they're miserable, they're sullen, they're, they're sad, they're always overwhelmed. Instead of peace, they're just anxious. They get panic attacks all of the time. They're overwhelmed by circumstances. Instead of patient, they're quick-tempered and they're easily angered. Instead of being kind, they're mean and rude. Instead of being good, they're evil. They're, they're filled with, with harsh, bad thoughts. Instead of being faithful, they're treacherous. Instead of being gentle, they're harsh. Instead of being self-controlled, they are utterly out of control. Th these are where the enemy wants to take us. This is where our flesh wants to take us, where we become the very thing that we hate. Hate-filled, joyless, anxious, quick-tempered, mean, harsh, rude, treacherous, out-of-control people. That's a miserable existence. And none of us want to have that. 
but to be the opposite, to be filled with joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's who we dream of being because that's the kind of life we dream of living. And you're not gonna get there just by trying really hard, by pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. You get there by letting the spirit of God take over, by engaging with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe today, the Lord wants to take you on a journey of discovering that power so you can become the kind of person you've always dreamed of being, so you can live the kind of life you've always dreamed of living. And I know you're going, okay, Jason, I hear you, man. I want that kind of fruit, but how? Well, praise God, the Apostle Paul tells us in the same passage in Galatians, he tells us that the way we do it is we have to learn how to engage correctly with the Holy Spirit of God, how we relate to the Holy Spirit of God. And he tells us with three verbs that he gives us in this passage. I want you to jump back up to verse 16. So what you're gonna see here is the context of the fruit of the spirit passage we just read. And you're gonna see in verses 16 through 18, two verbs, and we're gonna skip over to verse 25 and see the third verb. Here's what it says, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then he goes into talking about the results of the flesh and the evil and bad things that happen. And then he goes over the results of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit we just read. And then he summarizes it all in verse 25. Listen to this. He says, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. So in these verses we just read, there were three verbs that were used that I think describe what our engagement with the Holy Spirit is supposed to look like if we, if we, wanna, if we wanna relate correctly to the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, he says, walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit. And in verse 25, he says, keep in step with the Spirit. These three verbs are talking about how we relate to the Spirit, but they're nuanced. They, they tell us what it looks like. So let's go back to the first one, verse 16, when he says, walk by the Spirit. That there are four things worth noting in that, in that, just that quick statement, walk by the Spirit. First thing worth noting is what the word means. In Greek, it's peripateo which I know is a weird sounding word, but it, it literally means to walk alongside or to follow around. This word was used in ordinary Greek in, in the time, and it was used to describe people who followed someone else. So the great, the great Greek philosopher Aristotle had students who would follow him around and they were called peripatetics from that Greek word peripateo. It literally meant that they followed around Aristotle like lost puppies so they can continually learn from him. And I think that perfectly describes the way our relationship with the Holy Spirit is supposed to be. We're supposed to be walkers, peripatetics. We're supposed to follow around the Holy Spirit like a lost puppy, staying engaged with him so that we can learn from him, so we can receive from him. We're supposed to be walkers. We walk by the Spirit. The second thing, though, you need to note is that that preposition by. It can sound like it's saying walk close by or beside the Spirit, but in Greek, it's, it's called a dative. That, that can also mean, and more appropriately translated, walk in the Spirit. Not just beside the Spirit, but in the Spirit. Abiding in the Spirit and the Spirit abiding in you. We're supposed to walk in the very Spirit of God. Third thing worth noting, though, is that that word walk in Greek is what's called an imperative. That means it's a command. It is not a divine suggestion. He's not saying, hey, if you feel like it, you should try to walk in the Spirit. No, he's saying we must, as Christians, we must walk in the spirit. We must follow closely in the spirit of God. 
if, if you want to talk about disobedience for the majority of Christians, we, we focus in on lying or stealing or things like that. But man, I think the command we most break is that we don't walk in the spirit. He's, we're commanded to walk in the spirit. Another thing worth noting about that is it's a present tense command. And if you know anything about Greek, present tense means it's something that's supposed to be continuous and ongoing. Another way you could translate that verb is we got to keep on walking in the spirit every single day of our lives. We do it again and again and again and again. We never stop walking in the spirit. We have to learn how to make this our habit, our ritual, our rhythm of every single day life to walk in the spirit, to follow the spirit around, which I think leads into the second verb in verse 18. Verse 18, he talks about being led by the spirit. Now, I think that's pretty clear. You know, it just means that the spirit is in charge. The spirit is telling us where to go. But I think in in this verb, it actually gives us a new picture of the Holy Spirit. It it almost makes us think of, of a dance. And what I've been learning over these last six months is that our relationship with the Holy Spirit is like a dance. It's a dance where he's in charge. That's the key to this dance. He always leads and we always follow. But walking with the spirit, there are movements to it. There's a rhythm to it. And he leads and we twirl along with him. We follow him. Now, let me tell you where that gets really difficult. It gets difficult for us control type people. We like to be in control. We like to call the shots and it's exceptionally hard. This is where I've been learning the most and struggling the most to let the Holy Spirit lead to call the shots. But what he's been showing me is that my attempt to control is just an illusion. I've never been in control of anything, but he's always been in perfect control. And if I let him call the shots, then he moves me where I'm supposed to go. He shows me, I'm sitting here trying to open 50 doors and he knows which door I'm supposed to walk in. And if I just let him lead, he takes me right to that door and I walk through it. I got to let him lead in this dance. But the third one, probably the, the most engaging to me, most intriguing was verse 25. So to walk by the Spirit in verse 16, be led by the Spirit in verse 18. In verse 25, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. That Greek verb, it's, it's stoikeo. It, it means uh, literally, it's a military term, to, to march in unison in lines. It, it's referring to a military march where all the soldiers, they, they just walk in unison in their lines, step by step, side by side. Now, I, I think as I was studying this passage, it just got me thinking about modern day military training. Because, you know, back then, it made sense for them to walk in step. And, and you know, that's how they fought battles. You made me think about the Civil War. You'd, you'd march up in lines and you, one would get down and say, shoot. And the other one would come around. And so it was very organized and they would walk in step. That made a lot of sense. But what intrigued me is that I was studying military today. They still do a lot of this kind of unison marching, this learning to lock to walk lockstep with the other soldiers in boot camp training. And I started to wonder like, why in the world do they do that now? Because that's not how we fight wars. If you have a a, a ground invasion, you got troops going out, they don't walk in the middle of the street in perfect unison. They'd be sitting ducks, man. They'd be mowed down by drones and snipers. And no, the way you engage in battle now is that you you take certain ground and you move in, in synchronized movements, but you don't walk in the middle of the street in perfect lockstep. Yet still in boot camp, soldiers learn how to walk in unison. And I started to wonder like, why in the world do we do that? And as I was studying it, it really opened my eyes to why the spirit calls us to walk in lockstep with him. That there were four things that, that I learned. First of all, the first few make a lot of sense. One of them is that it's, it's intended to, to learn, to teach discipline to the soldiers, learn them, to teach them, for, for them to learn how to be teachable. 
they have to learn to receive instruction from others. So you got all these young kids going to the military and they don't know how to receive instruction. And so a part of learning how to march in unison is teaching them how to receive instruction, how to work together, how to be told what to do. Another thing that it does is it it teaches them to break out the individual. So a whole bunch of people, they're they're the center of their universes and, and a soldier cannot be an individual. He has to be a part of the whole. That's why you talk about the army as an army of one, not an army of a bunch of individuals. We come together as one unit. So it tries to break individualism. And then the third thing is obviously the natural result is that it it builds a commonality. It builds a unison, a unity to the team. When you learn how to march with other people, it it synchronizes you, keeps you moving as as one unit. And, And I think this is what the spirit is doing in us. When he causes us to walk in lockstep with him, he's trying to do the same thing. He's trying to teach us discipline. He's trying to teach us how to receive instruction from him. When when I come up to the church buildings where I'm gonna be preaching and I walk around and I pray, one of the things that the spirit does to me a lot is he stops me and he makes me wait for instruction. Should I walk this direction? Should I go that direction? Should I bow down here or should I stand up here? Should I pray this or should I pray that? And there's a lot of times where I'm just paused and I'm waiting. And what the spirit is trying to do is he's trying to teach me how to be teachable how to listen to him. And it's like practice in prayer time so that when I go out in the real world, I'm still constantly listening for his promptings, for him to teach me what's going on. So he's training me in discipline. That's what he does when he tries to keep us in lockstep with him. And he's also trying to break the individual. He's trying to help me see that the universe does not revolve around me. I'm not the center of it. He's the center of it. And I got to find my part in it. So he's trying to break down my individualistic tendency and make me a part of the whole but he's also trying to tune me to the right one. So the church is like an orchestra and the Holy Spirit is like the tuning fork. And every single one of us has the ability to hit that tuning fork and attune our instrument to the Holy Spirit so that when we come together as the church in mass, we work together in unison and in unity. We are are together as an orchestra ready to play beautiful music, to march together in unison, to work together as one, all tuned to the exact same Holy Spirit. So when we each get in lockstep with the Spirit, we become in lockstep with everyone else around us. So the Spirit is trying to bring unity and unison in doing so. But the fourth thing I learned about why even today they still teach soldiers to walk in unison was the most surprising to me. And it was that it builds courage in the soldiers. I had to to discover more. So I was reading an article about this and there was a study, a fascinating study that was done about soldiers and why they walk in lockstep and how it feeds into culture and into confidence and courage. And so what they did is they, they had this experiment where they had hundreds of individuals who were involved in the experiment. And then they had the person who was running the experiment. And what they would do is they would walk together 800 paces. I don't know why it was 800 paces, but they would walk 800 paces and they would look at an image. And that image was an image of someone, something scary. So it was a, a man coming at them, a pretty large man that had a knife like he was about to attack them. And then they tried to assess how scared the person was, how big they thought the person was, how real they would have feel, felt the threat to be if they had found this person on the street. And so, but here's, here's the real meat of this experiment. So half the group, when they walked, it was the, the one conducting the experiment and the one who was a part of the experiment and they would walk their 800 paces but they would not walk in unison. They would just leisurely walk at different paces for that 800 steps. And then at the end of it, they showed them the image. The other half of the test group, you had the guy conducting the experiment 
and you had the one who was being tested and they would walk in perfect unison the entire time for those 800 steps. And then they were shown the exact same scary image and asked questions about the image. And here's what was so fascinating. The people who did not walk in lockstep together with the experimenter were more afraid of the image. They, they were told that, yeah, the guy is huge. And if I met him on the street, I think I would die. And shockingly, the people who had no more training, they weren't bigger and smaller. There was no, there was no control group. It was just normal human beings going. They, they walked in lockstep with the experimenter. And after walking 800 paces in lockstep with another human being, when they saw the picture across the board, they considered the, that person to be less threatening. On average, they, they said he was shorter, he was less dangerous, and they could take him on the street. In other words, just walking in lockstep with one other human being made them bold and courageous. And this is one of the reasons why the military does this training in boot camp to make their soldiers bold and courageous. And then I started thinking, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit wants us to, lock, to walk in lockstep with him because he wants to make us bold and courageous. He knows there's an enemy who's out to get us, who is orchestrating things in this world. And he does not want us to be afraid of that foe. And so he says, come walk in lockstep with me so I can build courage into you so you can stand against that enemy in the day and realize he is no threat for you because he is conquered. That's why the spirit says, learn to walk in lockstep with me. See, God wants us to experience his power. He wants us to experience the fruit of the spirit, the abundant life. And it all comes by learning to walk in the spirit, be led by the spirit and keep in step with the spirit. And so these next three weeks that we have in this sermon series, we're going to walk you through how to do that. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to surrender everything to the Holy Spirit of God. Then the week after that, we're going to talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, to really understand what that terminology means. And then the last Sunday, we're going to talk about what it means to relate correctly to the Holy Spirit of God as a person. And, and truth be told, that last one is going to be so important because many of us, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we don't think about a person. We call the Holy Spirit it. But, but it's not an it, it's a he. He's the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's not some kind of like nebulous cosmic force out in the universe or some kind of like this unknown spirit God. He is a person and we have to learn how to relate to the Holy Spirit as a person, to treasure him the way we do the Father and the Son. And to realize because the Holy Spirit's a person, we can linger in his presence. We can listen to him. We can obey him. Or we can grieve him and we can resist him and we can lie to him because he's a person. We have to learn how to relate to him. We're gonna teach you that during this sermon series. And my hope is at the end of this, this four-week sermon series, you're gonna be prepared to walk in step with the spirit of God and discover where the abundant life comes from. It comes from his spirit and nowhere else. But before I finish up this morning, I gotta say this. And before we go any further in this sermon series, if you take copious notes, if you try to put everything into practice, if you listen to it and read the scriptures, but you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you, nothing we talk about is gonna make a difference. All this is contingent upon you having the Holy Spirit inside of you. Listen, we're not born with the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have to invite the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the Bible tells us exactly that, how that happens. Because the Holy Spirit is holy, and because we are sinful and unholy, God's Holy Spirit cannot dwell inside of us until our sins are dealt with. And that only happens when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. But the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we get the Holy Spirit. I mean, don't take my word for it. I, I wanna finish up with this passage in the book of Acts, chapter two, verse 38. 
Peter, the apostle Peter could not make it any clearer as he's preaching, which, which is basically the first gospel message after the church had been formed. In verse 38, he says this, says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't have made it any clearer. He says, repent of your sins. That means recognize that you are a sinner and turn away from your sins. Repent of them, walk no more and don't reject them as a part of, throw them upon the cross of Jesus Christ, ask for forgiveness. Then it says, be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means to say the old you has to die and then you place your faith in Jesus as your master, as your savior. And the moment you do that, he says, he says, you will receive the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for some kind of second baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait until you can do some kind of supernatural gift. No, you just believe in Jesus Christ for salvation and you receive the Holy Spirit. That's all it takes. So listen, if you have not yet come to that point in your life, where you've drawn a line in the sand and said, I can't do this anymore. I can't change my life. I want joy. I want love. I want, I want peace. I, I want to be more patient. I want to be kind and good and gentle and, and faithful and self-control. I want the fruit of the spirit, but I don't know how to do it. It starts by you confessing you can't do it on your own, repenting of your sins, asking Jesus Christ and the spirit of Jesus to come inside of you and transform you and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And that's when things can change. Listen, if you're ready to take that step of faith, your campus pastor in just a moment is gonna tell you what you need to do about it. But I wanna encourage you to get your heart ready. But let me say this, there are many of you watching this right now and you already have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have come to the place where you have repented of your sins. You have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have already received the Holy Spirit, but just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you are walking in the Spirit or you are being led by the Spirit or you're, be, you're keeping in step with the Spirit. We can have the Holy Spirit of God and still quench the Spirit and grieve the Spirit and resist the Spirit. And I think there comes a moment when we have to decide that we want the work of the Holy Spirit. We're no longer gonna be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We're no longer gonna box him up on some side category and try to compartmentalize the Holy Spirit. We're gonna to learn to relate to the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you this, because the Holy Spirit is a person, he knows when we value him and when we don't. If you're married, I guarantee it, your spouse knows when you value them and when you don't. If you have friends, they know when you value them and when you don't. And the Holy Spirit is a person and he knows when we value him and when we don't. And I think for many of us, we have to decide today is the day where we start to value the Holy Spirit, where we invite the Holy Spirit to come do his work in us. So we're gonna sing a song in a moment. And that song says that it's called Holy Spirit. We're saying, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood, flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Come invade my life, take over. So we wanna invite you to invite him into your heart. And then after that song, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper because we're gonna remember why we have the Holy Spirit. It did not come free. The Son of God had to give up his body and his blood to pay the price, to absorb the wrath for our sins, to take all our sins away, to wash us clean of our sins so that we could receive the Holy Spirit. And when we remember what Christ has done, then we're able to value the Holy Spirit the way that we should. And so I want you to prepare your hearts and we're gonna sing the song, Holy Spirit. And when that song is over, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. Get ready for it now.